the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. It's 4.02. You're listening to AM 560 WFIL and the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for listening in. I'm Tim DeMoss and glad you are here. Forecast the rest of the day, kind of cloudy for a bit. Uh, And then 58 the high as we drop to 41 for the low this evening. A lot of sun tomorrow in store. High 59 for Wednesday. High up to 67. Eagles over in London took care of business, beating Jacksonville 24-18 yesterday. They've evened their record at 4-4. They have a bye week coming up, so no football for them this weekend. And they'll be home against the Cowboys Sunday night football on the 11th of November. It sounds so far away, but it'll get here before you know it. Monday night football tonight, Patriots at the Bills, 8-15 kickoff. Sixers are home this evening against Atlanta. Flyers at Anaheim tomorrow. And as you just heard there, of course, on our little news segment, the Red Sox won the World Series yesterday, beating the Dodgers 5-1. Boston winning the series four games 2-1. Best-selling authors Jonathan and Erica Katerman are going to be joining us. They uh, have the book called The Middle School. The Girls, I should say, Girls Guide to Conquering Middle School. Do this, not that. Advice every girl needs. Jonathan and Erica Katerman, I should say, not Katerman, will be joining us. Uh, We're also looking forward to, speaking of baseball, uh, 10 years ago today, Brad Lidge struck out Eric Kinski to seal the Phillies World Series title, 2008. And Brad is going to join our program a little later on. Looking forward to having him on. And uh, he has a couple of cool stories to tell as well, which we'll get into, including how his faith came into play during his career. And we also have Sarah Groves, who was on our program last Friday. We're giving away... um, her music this week. Sarah is a, a great woman. I've known her for many years, and a lot of folks I know in the audience uh, are familiar with her music, but not everybody was. So, so I wanted to have her on. 13 albums she's had over the years. And so what we're going to do today and each day this week is just play a little snippet from our interview from last Friday that talks about one of the albums in that 13-album catalog. We'll give away a copy of it, and then if you do that, you'll qualify to win her Greatest Hits uh, Collection 2-CD set. So have our toll-free number ready, 800-560-WFIL, 800-560-9345. Going to play that clip from Sarah here in just a second, and when it's done, we'll give away a copy of the CD that she's talking about. Also, parallel to that, if you'd like to win a copy of Sarah's Greatest Hits, the uh, collection, two-CD set, you can also email anytime this week, and we'll put you in the running for a separate drawing. Email is simply timmyd, T-I-M-M-Y-D, at WFIL.com. Don't forget also, we continue partnering with Transworld Radio. Uh, They're looking to build a transmitter in Central Asia, a 200,000-watt AM transmitter that will help reach into 10 countries, a coverage map of 60 million people. It's an amazing opportunity to spread the gospel and be a blessing to many on a lot of different fronts. And uh, we're talking parts of Russia, China, Mongolia, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and uh, half a dozen other countries. So details on our homepage 
uh, at WFIL.com. And you can also uh, call up 800-880-4TWR if you'd like to help out, 800-880-4TWR. Basically, if you do the math, it's a penny a person. If you'd like to help out, for example, with 10 bucks, that would help a thousand people potentially hear the gospel. It's really, it's a, it's a crazy and amazing story in a great way. This transmitter that's being provided was actually purchased at a very deep discount. And we have a local couple who is helping spearhead that effort, Daryl and Carol Van Dyken. They've been on the program a couple of times, including from Cyprus. And they called in, they're in the field. And so we hope to check in with them at least one more time. This project that they're working on will take all the rest of the, this year, but they're hoping to turn the switch on in perhaps January or February. So whatever you'd like to do to help out with would be more than welcome. I encourage folks to think of it in this way. Perhaps take uh, WFIL if you appreciate the radio station. Just think about you providing that for somebody else uh, potentially by, by helping out. So, And if you want to think of it in terms of where you live, you know, take your town, if you will. For example, Lafayette Hill, where the stations are here, the population's on, you know, 2,300 people, something like that. That'd be 23 bucks if you lived in Lafayette Hill. 23 bucks would be the equivalent of providing WFIL for folks in Central Asia. So uh, if you want to email me about these things, too, I'm happy to kind of go through it with you. If you just want to help out, that's great. We'll apply it. We've already covered some towns locally, so to speak, and we'll get into that more as the program goes along. But for now, Let's give you the number one more time. Have it ready, 800-560-WFIL. And that's to call in after a little chat here with Sarah Groves. This was the very first of her 13 albums. I was just asking her about how she got started. And again, of all the artists I've ever interviewed and met over the years, Sarah's got to be top five. So that's why I wanted to take time to introduce her to you. If you didn't catch it last week, we'll have our podcast of that going up pretty soon. But uh, this is me just asking Sarah because she was an English teacher and not necessarily looking to do any albums at all. You know, some people want to do albums. They're dying to get into the music world and all that. And they, they work really hard at it. Sarah was very musical, grew up in a musical home, but she was an English teacher. So uh, Sarah kind of just talks about that whole aspect of, of getting into things, even though she really wasn't looking to. Yeah. Well, I was kind of embarrassed by the whole thing because I was I had a teaching degree and I had a job. I had a really good job. And so to my family and to my friends, you know, there wasn't anyone like clamoring for, you know, for my music. It wasn't like, there was a groundswell of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> listeners or anything. So when Troy started saying, I think this music has merit, I think it should be out there, he was the one with the vision. Mm. I was really almost embarrassed by it because I thought, what are we doing? What What do you mean? You know, that it felt it felt potentially has just disastrous, you know. And I remember our one of our big fights at the beginning, he ordered a thousand of my first CD, a fast machine. And I was so mad and and. But I was really just embarrassed because I thought, a thousand, like, what are you thinking? There's just no way on earth we will sell a thousand. I'm going to give away maybe a hundred, you know? Yeah. And then we had our first, very first concert um, in our home church. And um, just, you know, 700 people showed up at that very first night. And word has gotten out. And it was all a lot of people just saying, kind of curious, you know? Yes. People that knew us and like, what are you doing? And that night was just really special. Um, I felt something happen that night, just the combination of storytelling and music. It was, I, I just could see what I was going to do, that, that it was kind of like a different classroom, but I was still going to be taking complex ideas, taking ideas about, you know, who is God and what, what's he really like and what does this mean to be a human being, you know, uh, that is 
Christ inhabited. What does that even mean? You know, uh, and to take basically hard ideas and try to turn the lights on about those ideas through lyrics and stories and things. So it, it, that was just a, a beautiful, scary, terrible time. <laughs> and, that, that, and that was while you were still technically a teacher? Yeah. And then I left, um, basically, my record came out um, February of 98, uh, made it to summer of 97, and uh, Past Solution came out February 98. And then it had some interest from the label right away. And so we were flying, you know, well, I was still teaching, and we were flying to Nashville and flying out to, uh, oh, there was a record label out in, in the, on the West Coast. So we were doing all this stuff while I was teaching. So it was exciting, but um, it was also kind of like, oh, you know, this is a, a sure thing. And then actually that label thing fell through, and we so we had to decide, are we going to do this? Do we believe in it enough to be independent, basically, to be independent artists? But, you know, God knows me, and he knows my I, how. I'm like the character in Hind Feet in High Places, like yes. Much Afraid, the character Much Afraid. And um, I just look back at the whole thing and his tenderness to me to just always have some sort of assur- assurance there, you know, like, well, I can do this next thing. You know, I don't have to do it all, but I can do this next thing. And each next thing just kept leading me forward until I signed with a label in 2000. And that's when Conversations, we had already recorded it in 99, but that's when it was released to a larger national audience. And um, that's when you and I met. Sarah Gross on our program last Friday, her very first CD she's talking about there, Past the Wishing, the first of 13. And if you hear how tenuous it was, even in the beginning, it's a, I marvel at pivotal points in our lives and how she talked about God even knew then and has led her along step by step. And if you listen to the rest of her interview, you'll you'll catch that uh, for sure. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and give away a copy of Past the Wishing, 800-560-WFIL, 800-560-9345. If you'd like to win a copy, call right now, and we'll also qualify you for Sarah's greatest hits, which is uh, called The Collection, 800-560-9345. Right now, first one through picks up Sarah's Past the Wishing CD with AM560 WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. 414 AM560 WFIL, listen to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I was dialing up best-selling authors Jonathan and Erica Katherman. They wrote a book called The Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School. Do this, not that. Advice every girl needs and got a little bit disconnected. I think we're back on. We're back. Now, Erica was plugging her headset in, so that might have it been. It might have been me. Sorry about that. Hi, hi, Tim. Hi, Erica. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. How good. are you? Very good. Thanks for for calling in. Thanks for having us. Sure thing. Well, let's talk about it. Um, you guys, maybe we could start off by chatting with uh, Erica and Jonathan Katherman, and their uh, book is called, well, one of several, The Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School. Is this the most recent of the ones you've written, or where does it fall in line with everything else you've been doing? This is the most recent in the book. Uh, you could call it a series, I guess. Okay. <laughs> uh, as as you were saying, my husband wrote Manual to Manhood and then followed up with co-authoring with our boys, the Manual to Middle School. And the ask for girls material was so huge that we decided to respond with uh, Girl's Guide to Conquering Life and now Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School. Okay. And are they somewhat similar and in, in just, uh, I mean, in terms of their approach or how do, how do they differ from each other? It might be a big question to yeah, no, that's, digest. That's great. The, 
the Girls Guide to Conquering Middle School and the Manual to Middle School, um, so Manual for Boys and, and Girls Guide for Girls, are basically the exact same topics. We interviewed over 300 middle school professionals, educators, students, parents, about topics to go into this book. And um, so it ranges from everything from how to open your locker to backpack to bus riding to bullies to lunch line to, to uh the locker rooms, all kinds of different topics that are both for guys and girls, yet we knew approaching the subject matter would be different for, say, a new-to-middle school girl versus a new-to-middle school boy. Okay, very good. I know that with the girls' guy, which I've, I've read through, uh, there's a combination of whether it's a little story or, or uh, illustrations from pretty much every other page and just different ways of approaching it. Maybe you could just describe a little bit about the thought process behind the Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School, why you did it, set it up the way you did. Well, we definitely wanted to keep it interactive and engaging. And so, yeah, when you're looking at the open book on the left side, you have, let's even say something like lunch line and a little kind of paragraph or so about how to handle that situation um, and then maybe either a how-to or in some other some others there's jokes or quotes and then if you take a look on the right side of the book you have a thumbs up do this followed by a thumbs down not that so uh, <laughs> yeah just kind of a fun fun illustrated way to go through some of these topics that they'll be encountering in middle school on that on that visual side of things, the do this, not that pages throughout the book, I, I, all I can guess is I know some folks are a little more visual than others, not just like another way to communicate the information, but sometimes people may actually get more out of the picture and maybe the words can overwhelm, you know, possibly, so to speak. Have you found that? Absolutely. Yeah. So well, we I, could have a wall of words, especially when we're dealing with middle school students. They love the illustrations. And it's a, uh, a major brand comic illustrator took care of everything in the book. So it, it was just really fun to work with uh, illustrator to come up with concepts that communicated why you don't want to text while riding a bike or what sick days look like or how to wear perfume. So those are just a few of the topics that are, have plenty of text on a whole page of it, but then some great illustrations to go along with what to do and what not to do. The do this, not that versions. Yeah. Jonathan and Erica Katherman are uh, our guests. The newest book is called The Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School. Do this, not that. Advice every girl needs. Uh, a very similar version of that, the manual to middle school for the guys. And if I heard you correctly, Jonathan, you said your boys – uh, helped or were part of that process among all the uh, hundreds of people, I guess, who were also asked and questions and, and educators and all that sort of thing. You guys have, is it boys only? Is it some girls boys? Or how does that work for your material as far as that goes? We have boys in our house, but uh, definitely over the years I've worked with and had the privilege of mentoring and leading um, many young women. And uh, so then for this book, for the girls, as my husband worked with our boys, yeah. I was able to go ahead and contact some girls who have either just been through middle school or maybe have had a year or so of experience to go ahead and add their new wisdom to, to this material. Okay. And, I mean, it's a lot. And it's, I think it's, I'm, you know, I have five children, two sons, 20, 18, and then three girls, 15, 12, and eight. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm picturing my daughter on her bed, opening the book up and gobbling it up because the kids love to read. 
so I'm looking forward to letting her read through this. But um, how about for you as far as uh, I'm guessing some of the material really or a lot of it would come from real life experiences as you were asking questions. Is there is there a fun story or or even it could be from a parent, too, who was telling you this is what happened to us that led to maybe writing a particular page or two or chapter or two? Absolutely. In fact, that's how the book began was with a fun story of, of real life experience. My oldest son was leaving eighth grade and our youngest son was moving in uh, to fifth grade, or excuse me, up from fifth grade into sixth. And for a couple of nights at dinner, they would talk about sitting at the table, what's it like to go to middle school? And the uh, Manual to Manhood book was doing really well. And, and I was thinking about what we we're going to work on next. And I just sort of dawned on me. I looked at my sons. I go, guys, I think we've got another book here. And they kind of rolled their eyes like, boring. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 I think we can make this cool. And so the, the boys were able to contribute to the book and the topics. And then, of course, I was traveling around the country at the time working in hundreds of schools a year. And I'd be asking them and doing research with the educators on topics, and I bring it back and bounce it off the boys. What do you think about this? Or how about we approach that? Or what do you think about this illustration? Or give me some advice here. So it was really fun to work with them on the project. And then when we got into uh, working with some of the students, saying, hey, what do you all need to know? It was very interesting, and this was consistent on both the guy's book and the girl's guide to conquering middle school, the big concern about bullying. So we address that topic in both books and uh, in the Girls Guide to Conquer Middle School. We talk about cyberbullying and mean girls, um, some of the real fears these new to middle school students have and how they can avoid and how they can uh, work with some adults to, to nip it if it begins to, to show it on, on campus or off. Jonathan and Erica Katherman are our guests. Uh, the Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School, Do This, Not That, Advice Every Girl Needs is a new book. And uh, as you're talking there, I'm thinking, you know, when you went to write this, was there was there the mentality of um, obviously you want the people reading it to get something from it, the girls themselves. But at the same time, you're reaching the parents to help them feel like they're putting something in their kids' hands, like all the stuff I want to be able to talk about. Maybe this will be a way to get things rolling. It's a fantastic resource for that. We look at it as a tool in that way that it's just kind of one of those point of contacts where they don't even necessarily have to go through day by day per subject. But, you know, if they can can use the book as a tool to start discussions with their soon to be middle schooler, it's uh, a great way to start those discussions and a fun way. You find that uh, you can assume things that you really shouldn't assume because some of the topics like you mentioned, cyberbullying, that would be a heavier topic. Or maybe you know uh, PDA or or some kind of uh, or or school subjects, but then there's some everyday things that are not too complicated. But you can still kind of assume it's an overwhelming time. Possibly that it's good that you cover is a hundred topics. So uh, you know, leave no stone unturned kind of a th- approach. We, we had fun with that, and some of the things as adults we think oh, everybody does that. Everybody knows that. It kind of surprised me along the way. One of those would be an example of putting your name on a paper. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a middle school classroom, and here's a whole wall of papers or a whole stack of papers. I even saw one like a bicycle wheel with clothespins on it that had papers all pinned up on it, and they were all nameless papers. And either the, that's frustrating to the student because they don't know what their grade is or it's frustrating to the parent because they don't have access to that online grading system because the topic or the, po- or the project or the paper hasn't been turned in with a name on it. Their kid doesn't, I don't know where it is. I didn't lose it. I promise I turned it in. So, yeah, little things like name on paper is just a practical topic. So it was like lunch food, you know, like eating what you should eat at lunch. 
Um, I'm just going to yeah. sum through a couple here. Really. Well, simple. we had to definitely put in deodorant, even oh, though deodorant, some people yes. came back to us for the girls' guide. <laughs> well, wouldn't that be insulting? Girls don't have that problem. Yeah. Overwhelmingly across the board, teachers that we talk to say, "Please put it in." <laughs> put in deodorant. Yes. Well, we How do you deodorant? Real life topics. You know, it's, I'm going to say something that's embarrassing, but I know in eighth grade, I wore the same T-shirt two weeks in a row because I loved it. And I remember somebody saying something to me like, hey, dude, like, you know, about, you're going to shower or whatever. I'm like, what's the, oh, because it didn't, I don't know. <laughs> it did, but you, some, really, as I'm thinking about it, there are these, there's so much ground that's covered. It doesn't have to be a, a you know, this Shakespearean work on every topic, but just to have these topics addressed, a kid can read through this book fairly fast, I would think, over a short amount of time and then and be reminded of, oh, yeah, I should shower. Oh, yeah, I'll put my name on my paper or how do I handle the first day of school or all these things. Like it's an accelerated way of helping touch, at least intersect with all those different things that they're going to come going to come at them. So it's, it sounds like a very wise way to approach you know, having having brought this to people's attention. So, uh, do you, do you have any particular topics in the book that you found either most fun, you know, fun or helpful, that, or stick out to you as far as advice goes for the kids and for parents? Well, I'll have to touch back onto what Jonathan said. Something about the cyberbullying and uh, the social media and mean girls. Uh, when we speak with small groups or even assemblies, the first thing that that these girls are talking about are is their fear in going to middle school because they're worried that there may be somebody bullying them around the corner, um, maybe older classmen, uh, maybe they'll look foolish, they're afraid of not, you know, not knowing something. So those are really the things that we see time and again. So, yeah, it's a serious topic, but I think, like you said, the way that we cover it is is maybe a little bit lighthearted, but yeah. also hopefully very helpful to yeah. those situations. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan and Erica Catherman with us. Checking in from North Carolina. They have a, a book out that we're just chatting about. We're going to do a brief break. We'll also give away a copy of that book. It's called The Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School. Do this, not that. Advice every girl needs. Have our toll-free number handy. We're going to chat with the uh, Catherine's here again in a minute. And when we're done our conversation, we'll give away a copy. 800-560-WFIL. Have our number ready. 800 560 Four or five, not just yet, but soon. And also coming up a little later this hour, Brad Lidge, who struck out Eric Kinski to seal the 2008 World Series for the Phillies 10 years ago today. He'll join us uh, on the phone in just a little bit on AM 560 WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. 429. AM 560 WFIL, listen to the Tim DeMoss Show forecast. Getting clear tonight, low dropping to 41, lots of sunshine tomorrow, high 59, and a high of 67 on Wednesday. Eagles with the big win yesterday, 24-18, even their record at 4-4. Four four. Bye week's coming up, then they're home against Dallas Sunday night, the 11th of November. Monday night football tonight, Patriots and the Bills go at it. Sixers home this evening against Atlanta, Flyers at Anaheim tomorrow. And the Red Sox with another World Series title to their credit. 5-1 over the Dodgers yesterday to take that series in five games. Speaking of World Series, Brad Lidge, former Phillies closer, going to join us in just a little bit. Ten years ago today is when the Phillies won that 2008 World Series championship. Looking forward to talking to him a little bit about that memory and also some other things because the uh, life of a baseball player has a lot of failure in it, too, and some struggles. And he's going to share about his faith and how that came into play during those years. But we, uh, in the meantime, are pleased to continue our conversation 
with uh, the authors of The Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School, Do This, Not That, Advice Every Girl Needs, Erica and Jonathan uh, Katherman. And I was asking before the break if there's a particular chapter or two or topic or two that stood out to you guys or there were favorites. And uh, Jonathan, I guess your turn if you want to share on that topic. I'll say one of my favorites is substitute teachers because I know that, that they really struggle, especially in middle school, and when they get in the classroom, the kids don't want to give them any respect. And I think that practice makes better. And if we're teaching our students and our sons and our daughters that when we respect guests, even in the classrooms, particularly in the classroom, it's going to spill over into other areas of our life. So practice it when you have a substitute in the building. That's a, that sounds wise. Jonathan and Eric Katherman, the authors of The Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School. And they have those do this, not that the visual pictures throughout the book. Advice every girl needs and also... The uh, counterpart to that for guys, I guess, entering that era, middle school era, um, the uh, manual to middle school. And then you mentioned the other two books, just so folks know kind of if they want to look into all the different ones available in this realm. The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life was one, and the Manual to Manhood, the other. Is that right? That's yeah. right. Okay. Yep. And those for, those two, just they were the were they the first two, and then the uh, the manuals came second? Is that right? The, the Manual to Manhood and the uh, middle school book were the first two, and then we did the girls series. But really, oh. the, the Manual to Manhood and the Girl's Guide to Conquering Life parallel each other right beside one another. Life skills and character traits, Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School and the Manual to Middle School parallel each other on just helping them build up some confidence and some character as they move to middle school. Before we wrap up our time, maybe you could share a little bit about the two of you, because uh, it, it's more than just parents around the dinner table had some ideas. Let's put them on paper and, and call it a book. I mean, you, this is what you do for you've done for years, right? Both of you serving in terms of roles with whether it's youth or traveling or college students. Right. So tell us a little bit about each of yourselves, if you could, so people know a little bit more about who wrote these books anyway. Well, I'm a sociologist, and uh, my specialty is character and leadership development in youth. And I've been traveling around the country for, oh, my goodness, I think it's about 12 years now, working in uh, thousands of schools, doing research and speaking and training educators and parents, and then around the world working with uh, community and faith groups on similar topics. Oh, and I've been working with girls over the decades, we'll just say, yes. <laughs> um, in small group settings, in mentoring settings, and also uh, in sports and coaching. So I've just had plenty of option to, or plenty of opportunity to work with young women um, in this particular time of their life. Yeah. Really middle school, late elementary through high school and into the early years of college. It's actually, a, you know, I was thinking that in the back of my mind to ask you, the word middle school has, or phrase has shifted a little bit for me. It, meant, it used to mean seventh and eighth grade. It was junior high. And then recent years, it's changed to sixth grade to eighth grade, even fifth grade to eighth grade. This book, what would you, what would you think about most appropriate age range for? Anytime the student's making the, the big leap from an elementary school or intermediate school to the middle school. Okay. So they're going from being top dog. So it could be elementary school. It could be fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. Um, intermediate could be fifth or sixth grade. But they're making the move from one campus to the next, and they have the unknowns coming their way. This <laughs> gives them. This helps just prime the pump for their arrival. So anywhere in that uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, the perfect time. And we've even had – um, response from folks saying, my daughter's a seventh grader, and she sat down and read this book and loved it. Hmm. And she'd already been in school for a year or so. And I'd even, say, I'd even say students who maybe, not, maybe aren't changing schools, 
Uh, maybe they're still in the same school, but just to have that idea that this is maybe a next step in life, these these sixth, seventh, eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade years, and uh, maybe a step up yeah. uh, from where they've been. Well, and again, you mentioned it a little bit during our chat, but just to reiterate for folks tuning in that the way you handle this, there's some serious stuff, but there's some lighthearted stuff, there's stuff in the middle, some simple things, some more complicated things, but all, it seems like it's a way of trying to address them, uh, not rather long a chapter on each a huge thing, but it, but address, get the thought on the radar, give helpful insight, and then that way that the the strength comes from the the vastness as well, where where people can uh, you know maybe maybe someone is a, a middle schooler or, or even beyond, it could still read and the, like some of the things could come through. Like uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I'd never come across that before. I never considered that. You know, the hundred topics there are bound to be some that people just haven't encountered yet or had to think through yet personally, and so. I mean, I'm glad you guys wrote this and put this out there. Thank you. Yeah, taking time to be on today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. And uh, the best way to find out more about the book or the other books you've written, is a website or? TheCatherman's.com. Okay. That's where you can find uh, information about us, about the books, and some resources that we also offer. And that's just spelled the, T-H-E, then our last name, Catherman's, C-A-T-H-E-R-M-A-N-S. .com, Very good, and Catherine's with a C. Well, Erica and Jonathan, thank you for taking time out of your busy day. What do you have to run to get the kids? Are they, do, are they doing sports, or what are they involved in the, during the school year? Driver's <laughs> Ed. We have one in Driver's Ed. We're off to get him, and, uh, yeah, the day continues. <laughs> yeah, very good, very good. Well, thanks for taking the pit stop with us, and I uh, hope to chat with you. Maybe if there's another book that God gives you, we'll, we'll chat again. We look forward to talking with you because I was work, working on it today. Oh, good. Very good. Thanks great. so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank, Thank you. you too. Too. Bye-bye. Bye. Erica and Jonathan Catherman, The Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School. Do this, not that. Advice every girl needs. Very well-written book. If you'd like a copy, 800-560-WFIL right now. I'll hook up a random listener with one. 800-560-9345. Also looking forward to Brad Lidge joining our fine broadcast in just a couple of moments. AM 560 WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. 439 AM 560 WFIL. Listen to the Tim DeMoss program. Thank you for listening in today. Ten years ago today, the Phillies won the World Series. How about that? Yeah, Red Sox won yesterday, but 10 years ago, we won the World Series here in Philly. And uh, an image that's hard to erase, not that you'd want to, is that final out with Brad Lidge striking out Eric Kinski of the Rays and uh, Carlos Ruiz, the catcher, grabbing the ball, running out. Lidge goes to his knees, hands held up to heaven, and just so excited. The stadium's rocking. The city was rocking. And uh, we're privileged to have Brad Lidge join us today on our broadcast. Hello. Good, Tim. How about yourself? I'm good. Thanks for taking a few Excellent. minutes. Sure, sure. You bet. Well, congratulations. It must be fun to look back. Or Have you done much looking back today? You know, I, not, not really. Uh, taking kids to school and you know, <laughs> getting uh, everything ready for the show, I, it allows you to briefly think about stuff, but not uh, not a ton. Okay, unfortunately. Well, ten years ago, right about this time, you know, you're getting ready for what turns out to be an amazing event for uh, for you, for the team, for the city. And uh, I wanted yes. to, you know, chat about that just because it's the anniversary. 
and uh, and maybe also share a little bit about you know how your faith came into play too along that that season and, and over your career. Sure. So maybe we start with the game itself, what, and in general, what was it like for you to be part of a team that was so solid across the board? How much fun was that over the course of the season to, to watch all these stars and including yourself come together? I mean, it was it was really amazing. Obviously, in 2007, the team did a fantastic job getting to the postseason, and they were the ship had been righted in Philly. I mean, this was a great team before I got there, and you know, I watching us hit in 2008 in particular uh, was kind of mind numbing. I mean, it was it was one of those deals where no matter what the score was at any point in the game, uh, if we were down, we were going to jump ahead. It was kind of it was kind of funny. I actually. I always kind of knew, like, if, you know, because I always wanted to get out there and get a save for my team, but I always knew, like, if we went up a little bit early, there was no chance I was getting in there because all we were going to do is just keep tacking on runs. And if we were down early, that's that's when I thought, okay, here, here's here's my opportunity to get a save because our guys are going to come back and, and, and give us a, you know, give us a lead at some point, and I'll be able to get out there for that save. So I, I think, you know, by and large, all of us down in the bullpen were just amazed at the offensive output it seemed like every day. And, how the hitters never seemed to be out of sorts if we went down early. They always kind of believed in themselves that they would get the runs to put us back and in uh, ahead of the game. It was so much fun watching, you know, Rollins and Utley and Howard and Victorino and Worth and a bunch of others, Chooch, and all those timely hits. And I'm guessing confidence breeds confidence, too. When you, if, if they happen to struggle, the pitching picks up as well. And you had a lot of great pitchers on that team, too. We really did. Um, you know, and I think the bullpen, kind of from the beginning of the season to the end, really – just kind of solidified itself and and guys like Ryan Madsen really took the next step to you know here here I am watching a pitch you know in this World Series but but back then he was still kind of figuring out his role you know in the bullpen and he became a dominant setup guy that year Chad Durbin did an incredible job for us JC Romero obviously you know Clay Condry we picked up Scott Ayer and he did great so we had all these guys that kind of really had these great seasons and you're right confidence did be confidence and we were all confident in each other and I think because of that you know, we'd say things uh, to each other that maybe we hadn't heard before in, in, in a positive manner, uh, positive manner yeah. um, that allowed all of us to kind of feed off each other. So it was great to be a part of that bullpen. And, and the starting pitchers obviously got the job done all year long. It was great to watch them as well. And, and you know, Cole Hamels was kind of at that point in his career where he was launching himself into superstardom. Yeah. Chat with Brad Lidge. Uh, you know, that year, of course, you had the perfect season, as it were, all 41 for 41 with the saves. I was wondering, on an individual standpoint, did that ever become a distraction to you where it, the streak is more on your mind or, or could feed confidence, too, either way? Or maybe were you able to kind of just push that aside and focus on just doing what you have to do? And You know, um, it's a good question. I never really – the first half of the season, I didn't think much about it at all because I just kind of knew I was going well. I'd, I'd had, you know, some save streaks before in Houston. Uh, more important to me was just, you know, I had command of my slider that I'd never had before in my career. And really I felt super healthy. So I knew it was going real well. I knew I was getting the job done. I think as a closer, you know, regardless of what your ERA is, you know, you just want to get out there and get the job done. I mean, fortunately, you know, all things seemed to be firing that year and time and again, it just kept going right. And then all of a sudden the uh, second half of the season, I had a, uh, you know, a game where Shane Victorino threw a guy out at home plate and kept the, that was in Atlanta, kept the safe streak alive. And really kind of at that point, I was like, you know, this kind of feels like it's just one of those years it's meant to be. <laughs> Everything keeps going right. Uh, you know, the saves keep happening. We keep winning games. And, 
And there was this just, I think for me, this kind of unconditional belief that regardless of what the score was, you know, if it's a one-run game and the leadoff guy hits a triple, we were, I still felt like somehow, some way, uh, he was going to stay at third base and we were going to get the win. So I think I started paying attention to a little bit more toward the end of the season. But at that point, it was like it was, you know, people were starting to ask me a little more about it, and I really didn't want to think about it. Like, it kind of crept into my mind, but I tried to keep pushing it away because the last thing I wanted to do was go out there thinking about, you know, keeping a streak alive versus kind of dialing it in against the specific hitters I was facing. So yeah. I kind of had a real good, you know, mindset that year where every time I went out there, I, I really concentrated on pitch to pitch, never got ahead of the moment, and really kind of was able to to focus on what each pitch would entail. Probably and easier. The I had so. Yeah, prob- probably easier said than done. But I mean, well done, you know. And and what a what a fun way to conclude things. That and maybe we can just accelerate to the end of the the World Series. There, obviously, the team makes it all the way through and gets to uh, Game Five, which winds up being a two parter. Uh, I was at both games, and you know, with the rain and on on that game, I guess it was Monday. Was the rained out uh, halfway through sixth fifth sixth inning, and they come back on Wednesday, the 29th, ten years ago today. What do you remember of that final game? Because it's so such a weird way to to go into things. Players are creatures of habit, right? So to have a game split yeah. in half, and as a pitcher too, I mean, did it make much difference to you that the game had been broken up in two pieces compared to a like obviously Cole Hamels has started and you can you know he can't come back and just keep throwing. But how was it for you splitting it in two pieces? And, and what do you remember of that final game as how the last few innings? Well, I remember it like I was just so disappointed that. We couldn't just, you know, win a World Series and, and do it quick because when you're at that stage, when you're hanging on the edge like that of, of one more win and you win the whole thing, you can't sleep. So the game got rained out, and the next day it was canceled, and then the next day we were going to start up in this weird format. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Um, and, and I really was just – I wasn't sleeping the whole time. There was just so much adrenaline, you know, knowing what's at stake. I, I never tried to let myself get ahead of the moment, though, um, and think about, you know, what might be. I just kind of try to stay dialed into the moment, but when the moment is lasting, stretching out for a couple days, it gets really hard to do. So so I remember that, but I also remember thinking somewhere along the line, it's just going to be that much better. It's just going to be that much better hmm. when we do win this thing. And it was such an odd start, you know, starting the sixth inning there, and I just kind of had to get ready a little bit different, kind of had to shift my timing of when I was going to do my stretching and everything else. But we were all able to go out there and continue to do our jobs like normal. And, you know, fortunately, it all worked out. Yeah, yeah. Brad Lidge, the uh, two-time All-Star, and I'll come back player of the year, saved 225 games in his career, but mostly known in this market for closing out the 2008 World Series. We'll take a brief break, come back at uh, come back at you with Brad uh, to wrap up our program here. AM 560 WFIL is what you're listening to. It's Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. 450 AM 560 WFIL. Back with Brad Lidge of the Phillies. Want to... Get to that last defining moment. Take us through the final at bat, if you would. The last inning was 4-3 lead. You're protecting it. Was there any chance, by the way, that you were going to come in earlier than the ninth? Um, there, there, well, I mean, there's always a chance. Uh, if, if somehow, you know, we ended up getting uh, maybe a couple more runs. 
Um, and, you know, somehow, even though this was very unlikely, uh, JC or, or Madsen wasn't able to, you know, throw their inning as well as, as needed to be. But that hadn't happened all year. So I, even though there was a chance of that, I was super confident it wouldn't happen. Um, you know, but, because, because uh, it's you know, become these, a thing. It, it, I mean, obviously, you, you see it in the yeah. playoffs more now than you did 10 years ago. So I didn't even know if that was part of the discussion, like be ready in case. Or you, did you have to do it at all? And I'm trying to remember. I can't remember all those games that you did. You ever have to come in? For a four or five or six out save that year? I feel like that year it happened like one time. And, okay. and, and that's just crazy. I mean, it just speaks volumes to the guys ahead of me. In Houston, I was doing it all the time. But the guys ahead of me were so good, it just wasn't necessary for me to come in the eighth inning. Yeah. How about that last at-bat, the last pitch? What do you think in that final yeah. at-bat with Eric Kinski? I'm sure you've thought about it a couple of times since then. <laughs> How do you? Yeah. yeah, just a couple. It comes up. <laughs> It comes up pretty uh, pretty often, and every time it does, I just, I, you know, I, I love it. Uh, because, you know, it's just one of those deals where, you know, I try and think back in the moment and kind of remember the thoughts I had, not just from, like, the, the TV camera perspective, because somewhere over time I think you replay the moment, but you're replaying it, like, watching yourself instead of being in yourself. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you kind of have to go back to the, to the mindset, put myself back on the mound, and the conversations I had with Doobie and Carlos Ruiz and, and, you know, Ryan Howard getting out on the mound and us all talking about it. And, uh, you know, just feeling like when I gripped that last slider that, that when I came set, I had a real good one in my hand. Like, I, I knew that was the one that was going to end it. And, uh, you know, I saw him swing and miss. It's just hard to believe, I think, at the time that it actually, uh, it actually comes out that way. And that, I, I just jumped for joy and elation. I, I think I was just looking up to the heavens saying, you know, we just won the World Series. But it's funny because it kind of like it looks like I was speaking in tongues or something weird. <laughs> um, Jason Worth always said so, uh, but it was um, it was just an incredible feeling of elation. That you, I mean, you know, I could try and describe it, but there's so much that goes into it. Personal, you know, celebrating with the city, personal achievement, team achievement. I mean, there's just so many things. You know, you dream about it when you're young, and it finally happens, and you don't really know how to process that in, in the moment. Chat with Brad Lidge. Well, the stadium was physically shaking that night. I remember the fanatic coming out and waving his hands to one side, then the other side. The, I mean, it was unbelievable atmosphere there. And just, I know, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I know that uh, the next year still got to the World Series, a different story for you personally. And a few years later, you wound up retiring. I'm just wondering if in the last couple of minutes we could chat a little bit about two things. One is just the, you know, how your faith in the Lord uh, came into play you know, with the mm-hmm. struggles of 2009 and uh, maybe start with that. And, and in the next few years, cause there were some down moments and some up moments still in the midst of all that, but it wasn't like 2008. You know, I think, uh, I had learned quite a lot. Um, I think through going through some ups and downs in Houston about, uh, about things that are a little bit bigger than the game, about things that are, are very, uh, important in your life, regardless of your individual success or lack thereof. If you're going through a rough time and it's really hard. I mean, honestly, baseball will test your faith. Like it's, you ask anybody that stayed in the game long enough, like there are times where you're just like, why is this happening? I, I, you know, putting in all the work, I'm doing everything I can. But at some point you can kind of step back. If you can kind of step back from the moment, you free yourself up a little bit. And, and I think, you know, for me, um, I had a rough year in 2009, but our team still did great. And I didn't want to come out during the season. I had a torn meniscus in my knee, but I, I kept pitching through it because Charlie Manuel said, hey, you, you keep running out there. We keep winning games regardless of if you're doing well or not. We're winning. And, and I wanted to, you know, kind of uh, do that for the team. And, you know, it, we ended up getting the World Series. So I think it worked out okay, yeah. even if my, myself, I didn't have a great season. But 
one thing that is for sure is that every time I was going through a rough patch, I was able to kind of step back and step out of it, like I said, for a moment and really think about how fortunate I was to play the game and how there are bigger things. My faith, you know, no doubt, is played such a big role in that because I understood well, I'm a baseball player. I'm very fortunate to do that, but there are so many other things going on. I mean, my, my call to, to God, to Jesus, the things that I think are important to me yeah. are, are so much bigger than baseball. And baseball allowed me, regardless of the results I had, to be able to be on a big platform to help other people out. And uh, I think that you know, when you can put things into perspective, which is not easy when you're going through them, uh, but if you're able to do that and able to have a strong faith through all of it, then, uh, then things become a, a lot more joyful in baseball. Well, and you had shared this, and we'll maybe end on this. Uh, when I talked to you before in the in the NLCS in 2005, giving the home run up to Albert Pujols in Game 5. So Houston uh, forced a Game 6 back in St. Louis. Uh, I mean, it was in Houston, and that, that forced a Game 6 back in St. Louis. But then the Astros still wound up winning the series. Right. But you said something to me about a story you heard that day about a child who was sick. And you said something. Do you remember that right. story? I, I do. And it's funny because I, I haven't thought about it a ton, but that particular story, David Eckstein was a, was a player in St. Louis, and he uh, relayed to one of our guys who relayed to me. There was this boy's like, uh, his dying wish was, uh, he was in St. Louis, and his dying wish was to, to see one more game, you know, before. And I'm not, I think he had uh, cancer. He was real young. Real young kid, real sad story, and uh, his dying wish was to see one more Cardinals game before he passed away. And because Pujols hit that home run, we were able to go back to St. Louis and, and deliver that wish to him. So it's funny. I mean, you know, you're always thinking about yourself a lot of times in moments like that. But when you hear stories like that, you're just it kind of makes you sit back and say, "Sure, I didn't, I, I didn't like that moment, but I, I got to step back and realize how much bigger certain things are." And I'm very grateful. Even though it had to be me to give up the home run, I'm grateful that I was a part of that for that for that boy to be able to have that moment, that memory before he passed away. So when I heard something like that, it was easier for me to kind of swallow it and say, you know what, I'll, I'll put my my faith in God and I'll let things play out the way they're supposed to because there are so many bigger things out there than, than just my results on a baseball field. Amen, Brad. Thank you so much for your time. It's really appreciated. Congratulations. All right, Tim. Yeah, thank you. Pretty awesome memory to, to recall it. So, Absolutely. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a blast to watch this World Series, and it always uh, gives me chills because it helps me to remember uh, not too long ago when we were able to win ours. Very good. Thank you, Brad. Have a great rest of the day. All right, Tim. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye you too. Brad Lidge, 10 years ago today, closed out that World Series. And just to clarify that, uh, Brad was the closer for the Houston Astros before he came to Philly. They were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in Houston, Game 5 of the 2005 National League Championship Series. He came in with the chance to close the game out, send Houston to the World Series, but instead, Lidge gave up a monster home run to Albert Pujols of the Cardinals, which forced Game 6 back in St. Louis, which Houston did win, so they did get to the series. But that detour back to St. Louis and the story that Lidge found out years later was how that young child in St. Louis who had cancer was able to see one more game in St. Louis because the series had been extended. And that's what Brad was saying as far as trusting God with the big picture, which again included, yes, winning the World Series with the Phils 10 years ago today. Great to have him on the program. Thanks for listening in. Looking forward to doing it again tomorrow. Don't forget, if you'd like to help out with our Transworld Radio campaign, WFIL.com has the details for that. We're getting there. We're about a quarter of the way there to our goal. So thanks for those who have helped out so far. Jim Maxson with Acts 413 Ministry is going to pray next. Followed by Truth for Life with Alistair Begg. 
on AM 560 WFIL. Have a great rest of the evening. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.